Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Each episode, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, along with all the latest on the USA national team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to the Earful of Dirt podcast. My name is Liam Poach. You can find me at Poacher Rugby. With me, as always, is Craig Gradelli. You can ha- find him at, at MMF Fly Half. And, of course, Aaron at the Strobro. Hit us up on Reddit. Hit us up on Twitter. We'd love to answer your questions. And, by the way, guys, it is great to be back here on the Earful of Dirt podcast after a little time away from rugby. Uh, Aaron, you're on mute right now, yeah, there's dude. A, there's a mute microphone logo next M- to the name. I don't know what happened because I didn't have anything muted. I did unplug my mic to make sure it worked. But um, I guess to start this off, we, we're going to um, try and keep it tight again. But uh, Brian Ray just published an article on America's Rugby News with the on the two red cards uh, from the weekend. First, uh, Gaston Cortez uh, for the Toronto Arrows. Uh, as far as I know, no one saw this red card. Like whatever happened, it just did not make the camera or the I, I don't know, but no one saw the red card. He has been suspended for two games. Uh, he apparently uh, kicked Rowan Goose back, and it was, I guess, I don't know. Um, it was considered less bad than the next one. Um, New England scrum half John Pallond, uh was given four games uh, for uh, – I mean, I saw a lot of the footage um, – I know that there was an angle that wasn't available on the broadcast was published today on Twitter. If you want to go find that, you can find it via Brian Ray's Twitter at Ray's Rugby. And uh, from that angle, uh, I don't know if there's actually head contact, uh, but I I do think that he uh, ended up kicking uh, the – I forget his name. Um, Was it Adam Ash, I think, is who uh, he is uh, allegedly – uh, kick since he is the New England is appealing uh, that process. Um, I don't know when the appellate hearing is, but um, I I don't know, man. Um, I, according to Ross Tucker, this is the first time you ever saw. Um, you know, the uh, this is the first time he ever saw something like that. Um, Shout out to uh, Lynn Benton Youth Rugby Lions uh, in Oregon. Uh, according to Nicholas Serebia, uh is a coach there, and they are starting practice um, this week. So, um, yeah, rugby uh, is back. I, I guess, like, I, I guess they're trying to argue that um, the play was not reckless because, I mean, obviously, John Pallon was trying to kick ball and Adam Ash's body was simultaneously falling in the same direction. Uh, and then we had contact. So um, that is the MLR discipline update. I do like the fact that uh, we found those out very fairly fast. Usually um, if anyone remembers Joshua Vifi getting his red card where he was suspended for a long time, finding out uh, he got suspended at all is kind of pulling teeth. Um, so um, I worked for them that season, and I didn't find that was <laughs> <until practice. laughs> That was funny. Yeah, but um, uh, but I, I do want to say between the two red cards, though, one seems definitely more malicious than the other, and I think that could also be 
uh, you know, sort of brought up in the appeals process. Because like you said, you know, when somebody's body is, body is sort of fall, simultaneously falling on top of a ball, you know, rugby balls on the ground, you want, you know, one of the things you want to do is kick it. Yeah. So, it's it's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Ross Tucker said, um, you can find his responses. Um, Ross Tucker has been involved in the high tackle framework, high tech, and then uh, safety framework for when it comes to head injuries. Uh, and he's like, you could, the judicial panel um, can also argue that there um, was no mitigation because the player in theory could be, should be expected to dive on the ball rather than to try and kick the ball. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I could see the argument, um, for mitigation. Um, I was in the, I thought the angle that I saw today was, was clearer than the broadcast angles. And I, I struggled to see, uh, a foot hitting a head. That's just my opinion. I, um, I would love to see it, um, blown up. Um, if like just in the way that you see in the premiership and in a lot of the replays on the rugby network um, with scoring, scoring plays and stuff, if you could just get that one angle and just blow it up on the big screen and I can do it in slow motion. uh, Like you see in the six nations broadcasts, then I could, I could tell you, although Wayne Barnes missed a try in the Wales versus France game. Like, well, no, he didn't miss a try. That, that thing was held up. Like I saw the hand. I, I saw the hand, too, but. but whatever. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great week for major league rugby. Um, we launched, um, over the top streaming platform. Uh, I, I mean, very, it wasn't, very how do I say this? How do I say this? It wasn't any worse than ESPN plus. Um, <laughs> it wasn't well, any well, worse. Hold on. One game in particular, I won't say which, uh, might've could have done with some better quality here and there on the field. Well, yeah, I'm not. We, we, we were talking about it in the chat. We could I'm say we were going to get to that, uh, but it was New York. But, but as far as getting the broad, getting they had four games on at the same time and were ha- broadcasting those on their own platform. Like, yeah. I mean, I that this was is what we wanted. This is what we wanted for yeah. years, and it's finally here. And, and honestly, like, don't get me wrong, there were some loading errors like here and there, but that was to kind of be expected. If the whole thing had crashed on week one, I would have been like, eh, yeah, I saw that coming. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah, and so. it still's wor- it's still working. The, I watched replays at work today. I mean, good. I was at work today. Yeah. The thing we are missing, especially for this week, is um, it's the, we need a Roku app and we need an Apple TV app. I can't. I actually tried. Um, like, I can't AirPlay from my computer. Uh, it's called AirPlay on Apple TV, but uh, whatever. I can't stream from my computer to my Roku, which would put it up on the screen, but I can do it with my phone. Like that, that is strange. I mean, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. But I was just like, huh? <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. I agree. I mean, I have incredible rollout. I mean, from not even existing a week ago to being rolled out, having all the content it has, the quality of the user interface is very high. I mean, it's as high and as professional looking as any sports app I've ever seen. I mean, it doesn't, you wouldn't think it was anything but top of the line. Um, yeah. so, There's a lot I mean, of team content rolling out. Um, Rooney is doing shorts for Rooney All Access for ga- uh, of game week. So you have like 
Uh, I think it's like they're between five and 10 minutes. Not sure. I haven't, I've been so busy, so I haven't been able to watch any of this stuff. Uh, uh, I, I spent the old all day editing for I think the, the, the first one was like 20 job, minutes. I think. For the job I have called uh, editing a Miller kickoff, but you know, what, <laughs> you know, what's cool, great? Aaron. so thank God I have an editor. We have, we are lucky enough to have an editor for this one. <laughs> How do they feel about you not being able to master the mute button? <laughs> uh, you know, um, so actually for probably Danny Pete, they probably enjoy the fact that, um, I try, like, I try to say some things and then they just make, fun. you no, you'll, you'll see if you listen to this week's episode, they again, make fun of me for the fact that I did not unmute myself when I was trying to say something. Um, so, so there's that, um, should we call you stat boy over here? Stat boy. There you go. Yeah. Stat boy. Um, I actually, uh, Pick that up. Um, if anyone remembers uh, PTI, I mean, it's still on, but that's what they called Tony Reale. Um, so that's stats guy. Yeah. I'm the stats guy. But, uh, you know, I just generally, I am so glad that rugby is back. You know, watching the Six Nations has been really good uh, in a lot of ways just to build up to last weekend and to, because it made me think that knowing, you know, that March 20th was the day that it was going to be like, we were close and, you know, having super Saturday, well, it's not super Saturday this year, but having last Saturday's uh, six nations matches heading into major league rugby, which we saw changes. Um, MLR has made investments in additional content uh, deployment. So we have pregame shows. We have, Halftime shows, and we have post-game shows, and we have a magazine show, which is on Tuesday nights, which was last night. And I thought for the first episode, I thought it was really good. I mean, you never really know. Like, I, I know that Stacey Pates and Mark Serena do have chemistry together. They've worked together for a while, but usually as she's the sideline presenter and he's, um, you know, a uh, broadcast commentator. So it's a little bit different than doing a studio show together. But... um like as far as executing week one of your fourth season after a COVID destroyed season, pretty damn good. Like good work. It would be a good work. So yeah. Um, heading into the games, uh, let's see what I have here. Um, New York thirty six twenty nine against San Diego. Craig. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Liam uh, suggested this a few minutes ago, but. Uh, of all the games, this was the first chronologically to play. This was the game that reopened MLR to the world. And of all the games, the broadcast quality in terms of just video quality and camera angles, um, clearly a, a step below the rest. Uh, so it was a bit concerning. You know, having not seen MLR for a year and then this being the first game was a bit concerning. Um, the play was also not exactly covering itself in glory, especially in, in the early part of the game. I think, I think some Wuching ran through for a try almost untouched within the first few minutes. There were back and forth tries. Yeah. Probably the first 20 minutes or so, there seemed to be almost no defense being played. Um, and there were a bunch of unforced errors, a lot of penalties. Uh, it was just a pretty sloppy start to the season. Uh, so, you know, I'd forgive, I would forgive you if you were a little concerned with the overall rollout, but I think that game 
tightened up towards the back half. Um, you know, pretty strong play all around. Will Leonard, uh, New York back, had two tries. Uh, Dylan Fawcett scored. I thought Hunter Hermeshice had a strong game uh, playing attack. I thought Andy Ellis as a scrum half was uh, you know, a good contribution to the team. I, I thought he did a good job of being an attacking threat and, and helping to keep the momentum going in the New York back line. San Diego, um, in my view, looked a little unsure of itself. I mean, they, they still have the big power players like Sam Wuching and uh, Tavita Tamalau. Um, uh, but they, you know, they're missing some of the, the love of the Mikey Teo in the backfield and, and uh, Jay Peterson was not playing. I'm not sure. Uh, if he's hurt, uh, you know, I was expecting him to play. He wasn't in the, in the 20 match day 23 at all. Uh, Rob Shaw obviously is still serving his suspension. So he, he wasn't playing either. Um, still, I mean, San Diego, I think showed flashes of glory, but I think they, they looked a little weaker in the set piece, you know, in short sample size in last year. Um, you know, they weren't stealing lineouts like they were last year. I, I thought New York had the edge in the scrum. So, all in all, New York, I think, deserved the win in a sloppy game. Um, but, uh, you know, they were, they were the better team this day. Uh, and they're they're going home on top of the Eastern Conference for week one. Yeah, no, for, for sure could have been a better game. But... Moving on to Liam's game, his beloved Free Jacks. Uh, you know, um, New England 27-42, Los Angeles. So... Yeah, uh, as Aaron just uh, said to you guys, New England opened up the season with the loss. Um, I believe they were oh, – well, we, we got four weeks into last season, so I believe New England was one and three uh, he- heading into – you, you got five weeks. Five weeks. So they might have – yeah, so, so I think they may have just only only been one and four. Uh, anyway, uh, obviously there was probably higher hopes going up against a new expansion team, especially one who I will refuse for the entire season. I will not say Los Angeles' team name here on the air because I am that against it. I'm into it. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, ha- have fun putting that on youth rugby shirts, all right? Um, um, any- <laughs> anyway. Call, I mean, Luke White called it the Guiltastics. The Guiltastics. All right, I can see it. But, yeah, either way, still not saying it. It's dumb, okay? So, anyway, uh, on to the actual game. I thought I thought on offense, uh, LA's ball movement seemed to be at a much higher level than a lot of other teams uh, were, were looking here in week one. It just seemed a little bit more cohesive. Uh, however, a lot of that might have been to the fact that I thought New England's grouping uh, on defense, especially out of the breakdown or off of turnovers, I thought they were pretty slow to, to get going. So, I think uh, in that regard that LA just ended up finding a whole lot of holes that really shouldn't have been there to begin with uh, if New England were playing a little bit more um, better in the fundamentals of defense. Um, and, you know, also uh, L.A. was able to uh, get their get their receivers and their backs, uh, you know, pretty good speed at the point of reception in terms of, uh, in terms of the ball. So that definitely helped them there. Uh, however, I think New England had a much – a much better physical edge in this game, um, but like I said, their their grouping speed left a lot to be desired. So yeah, they may they may have been tackling uh, really well when they were actually you know in position to do so, um, but LA was able to kind of uh, you know get on the uptake much faster than they were able to react. Again, that's kind of what opened up the holes for LA uh, to take a uh, to take a fourteen nothing lead early on in the game. 
Uh, New England, however, they used that physicality to get their for, their first score of the season um, out of the lineout. They were able, able to they were able to hit the short side, um, and obviously the New England uh, the New England runner was able to kind of power on through that LA defense. Awesome score. Um, just kind of like last season, though. I uh, last season, if you guys remember New England's games, uh, they were they were slow to start. They were a little bit, uh, you know. They were, I guess, slow is a good word. They were a little slow to close, and that's what ended up losing them a couple of victories, most notably last season against Utah in Week 2. Um, but they were able to ramp up their attack between 20 and 40 minutes. Um, and like I said, we saw that, um, you know, we, we saw that in last seasons. But this team has a clear talent, um, you know, at, at positions across the board, particularly in the scrum. I'll talk a little bit about that uh, during, the, uh, during the preview for next week. Um, they're just they just need that level of cohesiveness to actually put it all together. And I think we definitely saw that, you know, as they were going along last season, it was just those issues finishing. Uh, both teams had some real, you know, rust on them, uh, passes out of the breakdown. I noticed were, were particularly wobbly, but I think that's something that's going to get better uh, over the course of the season, over the course of the season for both teams. Uh, I think both teams are going to see success this season. Whether each of them goes to the playoffs is something else that can be determined. Um, Aaron, so I think it's on to you. Going to the third game, Toronto 14, Atlanta 21. Um, this is an interesting one. So I guess DVS, Duncan Van Skalk, like Skalk Vike. I mean, it's going to be really intense. Is that how you pronounce it? I was a little Schalkwick. I always thought it was Schalkwick too, but it is Skalk Vike. All right. So he is now playing 10. Kirk Coleman is out for the year. Um, which sucks. If you guys remember him um, last season, he was probably, uh, you know, when he got warmed up, he was basically one of the informed tens um, in the league. And I thought the pairing of Duncan and Coleman was pretty good um, last year, uh, especially towards the end of the season, because they, they played some really good rugby. And then they also ran into uh, a New York team that at the time was able to just find wins um, and I wouldn't say that they they won because they were good, but they just they just found wins, and and you know sometimes you just gotta find wins, and that's all that matters. But in in this game, um, I think having a preseason helped, um, and having preseason games helped. They went to Utah, uh, beat Utah. I think it was fifteen thirteen. Uh, played against. Uh, did they play Houston? No, they played New Orleans. Uh, they were also supposed to play. Uh, play Old Glory, but uh, in the preseason, but that kind of got nixed. Um, if you remember all the the verbiage about COVID um, and stuff uh, that went out after that got canceled. But Old Glory had three different. I think it was no. Well, they had one practice game that was supposed to be against Navy, uh, which I want to see a lot of these. I really do because it, I want in the same vein of like the colleges that are in and around spring training areas usually get to schedule professional teams. ASU does it. Uh, U of A does it. So they play like a two game sort of series against, I wouldn't say the scrubs, but um, usually guys that are still trying to make the major league roster or end up in triple a, but I would love to just see um, a lot this sort of spread out um, throughout uh, major league rugby where in the preseason you play a college. I think it would be fun. You know, I, I don't know. Um, um, and, but I, I definitely thought just Toronto's core, because I want to say 80% of their roster was retained and they added good players, uh, that this was going to be a different game. And obviously it, 
I wouldn't say it was the best game of the weekend. I thought, uh, I thought you know, New Orleans versus DC was the best game of the weekend, but it was just a grudge match of just two prize fighters just punching back at each other. The tackles were hard. You had props go, you had props going eighty minutes and making twenty tackles and like thirty ruck arrivals in this game. It was it's pretty weird. Um, and then um, obviously, uh, sort of in in the second half, you get the Gaston Cortez card, which. Just uh, Toronto played really well for, I think it was, yeah. So they had, they finished the game with 14. Um, Lucas Rumball uh, had a really good game. Uh, he just hit rucks, man. I think he hit 39 total rucks in this one. And then uh, De La Vega, oof, and he's a, he's a monster. I tell you, uh, I, 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 although like both these teams, I think are going to be tired. Um, no. in this one, it's going to be, and also Toronto, they, they left from Toronto, uh, on Thursday. So they like checked into their hotel, blah, blah, blah. And then, um, had a team run on Friday and had to play. Um, I think this week they will be, uh, they are traveling to Utah, but they have spent a week um, in the United States, so they're going to be acclimated to that one. But just immediately throw them to a much higher elevation. Really yeah, they're, they're, they might. They might lose that one. I don't know. I mean, I would stick with I would stick with t- Toronto in that one. But just this game was just it was extremely physical. Um, and I always think, like, if you read all the preview stuff, like some of these people, I, I don't think. When I read data, data, I mean, I'm a data nerd, but I also believe in coaching. And a lot of data nerds seem to think that coaches um, only take away from teams in rugby, which I find weird, but just, just I don't get it. Um, I think coaches can take away from from teams, but I also think coaches elevate teams. And then you have coaches that literally um, do nothing and the roster plays to the potential it can play at on its own without any guidance. And while these two teams are extremely well coached um, and there was a, there was a thread on Reddit about defense coaches. I was like, these two teams played the best defense uh, of the weekend. Probably maybe, um, maybe new Orleans defense was better. If you really sort of, well, not their defense, their attack was good, but their defense played pretty well, but maybe the, the old glory defense was probably the best defense of the weekend. But for both of these teams, it was just, it was these are the two lowest scores of any t- two teams all weekend. And But here's the thing. They looked good. Both of them. I thought. Yeah. Um, and and it I, does go to coaching. I mean, you know, I think a lot of these teams, long layoffs, their defensive structures and their ability, you know, their ability to stay connected and get into shape just wasn't back yet. And a lot of teams were able to exploit that. And both Atlanta and Toronto, I think, did a much better job, relatively speaking, of having their defense get into place on time. Atlanta is sort of like um, New England, or I would say Atlanta was – they're both similar in in the recruitment philosophy. It's uh, not necessarily no name players, but players that you know may have had an injury, so it's knocked them out of selection, like top selection for a Super Rugby team, and they're just sort of a squad player. They're in a Curry Cup or Miter Ten, and there's just it's just there's too many players 
above you, or they're bringing in young guys. And they did it last year with Mario Redlingheis and uh, Johan Momsen, and those guys returned, and we knew how good they were last year. And I don't know why people are saying, you know, oh, they didn't bring in enough talent. It was like they brought in Bautista Escura, and he, like, just controlled the field with his foot. So, yeah, um, good win for Atlanta, but it might hurt, honestly. Um, and they go up to D.C. this week. Uh, moving on, we've got, oh, Seattle at Houston. Um, Seattle 24-30. Uh, Houston, um, you know, I, I didn't think Houston was doing well last season. In this in this game, I got surprised. Um, I originally picked Houston last week on the show, and then I saw the team sheet, and I was like, Jin Homan. Um, would it? Jin Homan is deaf in one ear, and I think par, partially deaf in the other ear. Throw that out. He good. Like he yeah. is. He is good. Like his, like his, uh, his ball is good. Um, I guess we have a question on uh, Harley Davidson. Um, Harley Davidson uh, was released from the hospital on Sunday. And he's gonna be out for a while. Nothing broken, but uh, he was he was on the floor knocked out, and that's just he's he's not coming back for a couple weeks at least. Um, there is there's no way to hide that one. It was on national television, mm-hmm. so yeah. But yeah, I, I think so. If you look at Jin Mun, I had he was obviously signed by Dallas, but he came in on a visa uh, with the Dallas Harlequins, so. Um, which is a club team in Dallas and then had signed for the Dallas Jackals. Uh, obviously he's a very quick player. He's played uh, in the several of the like Asian regional tournaments uh, with sevens. He's a Korean sevens player. Um, he's American Samoan Korean sevens player that grew up in New Zealand. So all kinds of crazy stuff there, but ball distribution. Good. Spatial awareness, good. Can carry. Like, I think he marshaled uh, them around the field pretty good. I thought the, I thought the scrums for both teams uh, were were kind of lacking. I, I didn't think that the scrums played well. That neither. I didn't think either front rows did well in the scrum. Um, there wasn't anyone dominant uh, generally. I thought Charlie Connolly had an okay game and. Knowing Charlie Connolly's standards, he's he's a bad man. Um, so I, I don't think he played well. Um, there were some some good things I saw. I I, I liked Sitiveni Tamaivena. Um, just I know he was kicked to a lot, and the idea was you just kick to that back three and see what happens. Well, I mean, the dude's an athlete, and he put up over 130. I think he was 130 meters on nine or ten carries. Like he got that ball back to midfield. So I I. I mean, he won the exit with his feet, and not many people win the exits with their feet here. Um, but there was just there just wasn't enough cohesion. Um, and when Seattle had the momentum in the first half, it just disappeared. Like it, like literally, the sand just went down, and Houston sort of got themselves together, and they put together, I thought, a complete second half. Um, overall, their defense kind of tightened up and their their attack. Uh, generally, I think they've always been able to score points. It's just just 
putting the ball in the right area of the field. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think it's a good win for Houston. I don't know about Seattle. Um, and I know I'm going to get flack for that, but I just don't know. Um, they did sign Samu Manoa. And I, I know I, I read a comment saying Samu is at his age is going to be more of a mentor. I was like, you don't know Samu. Um, Samu came to play. And Samu gonna do what Samu does, and he's gonna lay the wood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how, how could it not be a great win for Houston, just considering the history of these franchises and how you know Houston was a, sort of the darling before MLR began, and Seattle was an unknown, you know, not getting much attention, and obviously Seattle would go on to win the first two championships, and Houston has really struggled. Uh, I'm sure this was a really invigorating win for the Houston franchise. Uh, you know, I don't, like you said, I don't know that any team, anyone, I only saw the second half of this game, I should say, because I forgot to set my DVR. This one was not on the rugby network. Uh, so I only saw the second half, but I mean, from what I saw, no, uh, no one was standing out as playing credible. Seems fairly evenly matched, uh, but it, that, that in itself is like, I mean, Seattle used to just dominate the set piece against teams like Houston, and it wasn't the case. I mean, it was a pretty evenly matched. Houston was moving the scrum sometimes and, and getting a good attacking platform. So just felt really like a, a passing of the torch of generations to me. You know, it's not the, the same old, you know, Houston, same old Seattle we saw the first few years. Uh, move on to the next game, uh, Utah uh, 30, Austin 28, Liam. Yeah, so this game was interesting considering how last year uh, – I don't want to I don't want to call any team a laughingstock, but they, these, neither of these teams were the cream of the crop last season. And I think we saw a very different version of, either, uh, of both sides uh, in this contest. And it was actually pretty entertaining. I was able to watch this one mostly at work when I was, when I, you know, while I was pretending to work. Um, anyway, um, as the game progressed, I thought Austin's line speed, I thought it developed pretty nicely early on, but it hit, kind of hit a lull once uh, Utah uh, began to gain momentum. Uh, I thought Utah's possession control, um, you know, what, what was, a, was, a big fact, was a big factor in that. They, uh, they, they used their forwards really well in the second half to not only control the ball, but they were also, the, those forwards are also gaining some pretty meaningful meters while they were at it because, you know, as we all know, forwards are just really good at ramming into people and just rucking over and rucking over and rucking over. It's not until the backs get involved that anything gets done. But hey, anyway, uh, one um, the best players on the field for for Utah were there was one back and then there was two forwards, both flankers, by the way. Bailey oh Wilson yeah, no, Lance Williams. Believe me, I'm just I'm trying to trigger particular people that I know are watching. You know, I got oh, love for my big. You're trying to trigger the two <laughs> the two front rows on this team right now. <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, one big thing that I think led to um, that, that led to Utah's victory was they had really good discipline inside the 22 meter, um, especially on a few of their scoring season. And in turn, that made Austin, uh, you know, have to work like on defense and work, um, and work work to kind of put them back. But Utah was able to retain that position. They were they, they were able to uh, maintain discipline and not get any dumb penalties that would put them out of scoring range. Meanwhile, it was Austin who would eventually commit a lot of those penalties, giving Utah multiple chances inside the 22 uh, to run their system. And as we all saw, that was able to work out for them pretty well. Uh, however, 
one big thing about this game that everybody is going to remember was Austin's almost comeback. Um, their line speed was able to pick up again. And more, more importantly, they made Utah actually begin to pay for their own mistakes. Um, Utah got you know more, more and more frustrated. I think there was a few lapses, um, especially on defense, um, in terms of, of letting the, the Austin backs get through. Uh, they thought they may have thought they had this game uh, wrapped up. However, uh, Utah they had the superior tackling in the game, and I thought that also made a, a big difference. Uh, made Austin you know fight for the gain line uh, a lot more than they probably would have liked to um, at towards the end of the second half, and that I think took a lot of valuable time off the clock for the Gilgronies. I'll, I'll say their name. I'll, I'll call it fifty fifty. Uh, <laughs> with the Gilgronies, I'm gonna like I, I I want them to create an orange blob. And then put a massive cowboy hat on it, and that's that's the mascot. Just <laughs> just like a giant cheese poof, like like you know, a Syracuse mascot but with a cowboy hat. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Done, done, done. Exactly, just orange. Well, I mean, it has to have booze incorporated in some way. I mean, because it's a it's a drink, right? They, did they have a Gilgrony like at the Austin Stadium? No, I still I don't think they do actually. I I, I I would I would like I don't care. I would buy if you. If if Adam Gilchrist got some distributor in the state of Arizona, let's go with Young's Market Company, and that thing got put in total wine, I would go buy it because guess what? It supports American rugby. So let's just do it. I'm 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 I've I've gotten over the names. Um and let's just do it. Yeah. Um Anyway, at the end of the day, I thought this was a really good game. I thought both teams, uh, I thought both teams showed a market improvement uh, from last season. Uh, you know, at the end of the game, you know, Austin can say, "Oh, we, oh, you know, it, it, it's week one. We'll be able to pull off. Uh, you know, we'll be able to pull off wins like that later in the season." That's going to be the difference maker because this team displayed talent last season. I thought, you know, ac- across the board, but it was putting it together you know, to run it, you know, regularly and consistently, uh, that was, you know, their, their downfall. Uh, so they're going to need, uh, just, just like my beloved free Jacks, they're going to need to be able to finish these games using the talent that they very clearly had. I think from a process perspective, um, since the, since the purchase, I guess, and the takeover of the Gilgronies, um, you know, they hired, they've hired a new staff, um, for, for the, a coaching staff. Like, so they have, they basically had one coach. Well, they had two coaches last year. Um, Andrew uh, Suniula was assisting Brent Sir- Simmons. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Sam Harris talked to him a lot um, with Mark Gerard, And then they brought in Simon Thomas, the strength coach from the Crusaders. Um, they're going to – I think they're, they're going to do really well. Uh, I think the culture is – was changed effectively um, with some help from – some out, outside people um, before the sale. And then like that culture continued to change uh, with uh, the new ownership infusing capital into, into them. And then you just look at this new staff and the way they've been doing things that um, I'm not saying they're going to, they're going to have a winning season, but I think I said seven games. I'm still going to, I'm still going to stick to that. I think Utah was better and I think Utah is going to be good. Uh, I just, I just hope that they are consistently consistent this time instead of a roller coaster like every other season in Major League Rugby. Um, yeah. So final game, uh, we've got where, where, 
was I? I I've DC lost this Noah script. Yeah. No, no. The great draw of uh, 2021. Yeah, 26-26. Yeah, 26-26. You know, game that was postponed today for COVID reasons, so it happened to be a nice Sunday afternoon uh, nightcap, if, if you will, on the weekend. Uh, I mean, incredible game to watch. Uh, we told us last week, but you'll remember see uh, week one of 2020 – uh, Noah Gold also hosted Old Glory DC and absolutely tuned them up. Uh, I think it was like 46-13 or something. Just blew Old Glory out of the water. Now, Old Glory would go on to win the rest of their games in the shortened season and end 4-1. and one. Um, So that really had one big blemish on their record of last year. And clearly it was on their mind. You saw that the game was on FS2. You saw the in the pregame they were spent a lot of time talking about it because, you know, that they're, they're coming in thinking about um, redemption. Uh, they said redemption, not revenge, but whatever. I mean, they were, they were clearly preoccupied with that loss and they played great. Um, ended in a draw, but they controlled the scoreboard the whole time. Uh, only when Nola scored at the death or, you know, within a few minutes of, of the death um, and Carl Mile converted an extremely difficult conversion uh, to draw even, uh, but up until that point, Old Glory had pretty much been leading the vast majority of the game. Um, I thought Jameson Fanana Schultz played an incredible game. He had it seemed like every time Nola was attacking uh, and was in danger of scoring, you know, Jameson was in there, and it was a vulture and it was a turnover. And if it wasn't him, it was Callum Gibbons you know, coming in and making big hits, but. Old Glory's goal line or try line in goal line defense um, was extremely successful at turning balls over uh, and and denying scoring opportunities to Nola. And I that, I haven't seen the final breakdown, but I, it seemed like Nola had the benefit of both possession and territory, but they couldn't win because Old Glory was just managed to turn it over. Um, if you if you look at that, I mean, I, I saw the final stats. I, I didn't. I don't have them up right now. But the, the tackle differential is one to two. Um, it was about I think seventy five tackles to completed for New Orleans and about a, over one hundred and fifty, maybe just under one hundred and sixty. I think. Um, and uh, you know, tackles for Old Glory. Old Glory was their defense. Both the, I would say that. Defensive completion percentage, which I don't think we have, but inside the 22 for both teams was really good. The difference was that Nola spent a hell of a lot of time in Old Glory's 22. Like the the uh, the way that they could move the ball and the way that they could get into Old Glory's 22 was crazy. I don't think I've seen a defense like that since the Seawall in first in season one, probably. Yeah. Just like that. And conversely, Old Glory tries with these long Danny Tusitalo runs where they weren't, they didn't really mount a prolonged attack, you know, inside by the, by the Nola try line. And Danny Tusitalo also played a great game. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, the whole game seemed like it was taking place right outside of Old Glory's try line. Nola just couldn't get across. Carl Meyer did play well for Noah, I thought. Um, you know, the scrum was going well for Noah. 
Matt Harmon uh, and Dina Waldron, I thought, were solid in, in the scrum. Um, you know, they did score from a mall uh, early on in the game. I think that was the only lead they had. Maybe it was right at that, at, in the first few minutes when they, they took a 5-3 to three lead. Yeah. Um, Jason Robertson, perfect from the boot. Uh, I think he had 14 total points. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, really, it was like Old Glory just came in and, and refused to lose after what happened last year. And, you know, Nola just couldn't find a way to crack through. They managed to draw it even in the end in a, in a very exciting finish. But, uh, I mean, what a, what a way to, to renew that rivalry that had started last year. So we talked to Dan Cusatali yesterday with my job. Um, and, uh, yeah, just throwing the coins at that one. Uh, yeah. But uh, he mentioned that, I mean, I'm, they, didn't, they, didn't get to pra- they didn't get to practice last week. They practiced on Monday. And you can, you can probably infer why they didn't practice. I'm not going to say anything, but he said it on, he said it on, on the show. You can go listen to it tomorrow. Um, but, um, you obviously, um, there are issues in the current environment that may stop teams from playing, being practice and train and be ready for a game and still be, still have to play a game because they'll have to prepare for themselves. And, I'm sure that won't he be conducive it, to any more injuries. You know, definitely. He no. said. He said, as a team, they just like got together and they just said, "We're we're gonna refuse. We're not, like that. They're gonna refuse to lose. Like we have to just grab ourselves and just make this happen." And that they felt that the the performance they put um, on the pitch was amazing like that that was the like based on all their circumstance like that was it like that was the performance they needed to do i liked um nola's commitment to the set piece i tweeted from the eod account that um nate osborne probably wants this game back because uh if we've watched the nola set piece previously it's been as good as um yeah uh it's been as good as the new york set piece Historically, when when you think about people that score tries all the time, um, you know, it's Dylan Fawcett and uh, Cam Dolan off the back of a mall, like just straight money. And but this time, it I guess it didn't work. So you have to look out and say, what's the deal with um, the uh, why didn't they take the points? I, I mean, yeah. I, if you're if you're in, I've seen that happen like once before where a team is just committing to, to score and it doesn't happen, but it's not rare, especially with the way malls work. Defending malls is very tough. Um, you're either it's 50, 50, you're either going to get a penalty or you're going to stop it. Yeah. Or no. Yeah. But, but I don't think Nola was, Nola scored the mall early on. Like I said, but I don't think overall their line out was as good as their scrum. I mean, they, they definitely, I remember at least one just complete overthrow. I think they were they weren't connecting on the line out. At- oh, the line out. Other than that second one, the second one's the one they scored on. Other than that second one, they were not. Yeah, they, I mean, their they scrum was good. good, but they they didn't have the mall to to use that as their. The scrum was. I mean, I don't think the old glory scrum improved um, from last year. I think <laughs> you have. I mean, it wasn't just thrown in reverse like it was last year. So that's true. That's true. But you had like 
a North American front, a young North American front row, just holding it down for New Orleans. So, I but, mean, um, there's also no excuse for like, oh, we're just waiting for the beast to get his visa. It's like, nah, <laughs> nah, this time. Um, so, uh, moving on to this week, uh, Craig, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, New York at New Orleans. Um, yeah. so that I, I love New Orleans, New York matchups. I don't know why. I just, it's, you know, if Aaron is, is from time to time accused of being anti Seattle, I have been accused of being anti Noah. Um, I'm not, but uh, I think this is a real interesting match. Quiz, quiz for Liam and Aaron. How many times has Nola beaten Rooney in MLR history? Um, zero. The answer I'm, is zero, zero yeah. times. Uh, so, you know, can, can they can they change that streak now? Now, when they first played, it was last year or two years ago, I guess, you know, last full year. And Nola, I think, was undefeated at the time. They started hot. New York went down to Nola, changed that. You know, they gave Nola their first loss. Nola would go on to just barely miss the playoffs that year, and Rooney would make it. So, I think for whatever, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Scott. I'm Prasada Nongrada in the gold mine. Look, I, I, I picked Nola as my champion for this year preseason. So take that, Nola fans. But I think they're going to lose this week because uh, I just think New York has their number. I think New York has the set piece to hang with that scrum. They seem really, um, New York this, in week one seemed really connected in the backs. You know, they were ambitious in what they were trying to do and they seem to have the talent to be able to, to mostly pull it off. Um, I, I don't know if no, I think Nola's defense is up to containing that in this week. Um, you know, they, and like we said, they didn't really, their defense wasn't really tested that much against old glory. They spent most of the time on attack and when old glory did mount, uh, did mount a, a bit of an, uh, of their own attack. Yeah, they, they got some pretty big gains and, and scored some tries from pretty far out. So um, I, I think this is a great match. I think this is becoming a great rivalry, at least in my head. Uh, though I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say New York goes down to Nola and uh, wins by three. Moving on to me, Where we're going picks? Atlanta. Oh, oh, picks. Um, I think that the commitment to the set piece and. Nate Osborne is going to tear into his team in just that way that he's actually a very nice person. He doesn't really get very angry. Like it's, he's very Australian in that way. <laughs> uh, and I just think he's, um, they were committed to scoring points. And I think this week um, they are going to, um, they're going to score points, but they're going to take more shots at the, at the sticks if they're given to them because they, they did. They probably had three penalties that the, were basically going to be right in front of the posts um, that they decided to kick to the corner. Um, so that's nine points there that they could have had. Um, and and we're talking a different game, but so I think you know down in the gold mine, they're at home. It's gonna be humid. Just give me New York by three. I mean, not New York by three. Shit. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> by three. <laughs> But I will say, um, man, I couldn't pick a damn game last weekend. I got one right. <laughs> so Nola by three. I will say, but um, 
as always, um, the roster rule applies. So we are not, um, since we do have a picks league on Superbrew, we are not holding ourselves to what we say on the show because we want an even um, playing field. Yeah. yeah. For the record, well, I, I never remember what number, I, you know, the margin I quote on the show, but uh, I almost always pick the same person I pick on the show. I rarely change. Uh, yeah. do, so, sometimes your gut tells you something before you hit submit, though. You know, and yeah, you I know. Every time it does, I yeah, my gut told me Houston. My gut told me Houston last week, and then my brain saw Jin Ho Mun, and I flipped a saddle yeah. like an idiot. I mean, um, earlier today, my my gut was telling me the Bison Sliders last night were a bad idea. So you know, your gut says all sorts of things. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, in, in the way that Craig has been accused of being anti Nola, uh, I've been accused of being anti New York. And uh, however, the difference between me and Craig is I have no issue with that. Uh, so I'm going to be going. <laughs> I'm going to be going Nola minus twelve in this contest. However, it's not just the fact that you know New England is dominant over New York in every way, shape, and form. Uh, it's because of the consistency that you were talking about. Uh, I believe Nate Osborne is he the only coach who's gone? He's the, you know, he's from, the from, last from, from, from the inaugural to now. Yeah, so someone put it on Reddit that he's the last Mohican. He is the last of the Mohicans. Right. Nate Osborne, last of the Mohicans. Yeah, you know, the original uh, MLR head coach. Uh, yeah, Nola has has been probably you know my number two or three team. Like you know, like since the since the league started, uh, despite <laughs> being a Houston fan. Uh, so I, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, hey, know what, Scott? I, I I got I got love for you guys anyway. But oh, anyway, I'm also a huge uh, huge Trevor fan from last year. My that's my boy from from, from Vermont. So anyway, um, yeah, it's, it's that consistency. Also, Nola was wicked close to putting it all together in year two till they fell off. They looked pretty good last season. I think this is going to be the year that they, you know, finally get over that hump and actually make make a shot for contention. So, oh yeah, yeah, I said I said minus twelve for Nola, right? Yeah. Yep. So yeah. we're moving on to uh, Atlanta at. Uh, DC. Uh, so games uh, are so good this week. I heard so some. There are some. There are some um, injuries for DC from this last week's game, which could negatively affect the the, the selections. I think. Um, just, I mean, the player selections, not these selections. Like we're just you know guys who watch a lot of rugby and love talking about it. So ah. I think the fact that they just had to throw down a ton of tackles and be physical is going to make it tough. I think, um, generally speaking, Scott Lawrence's side is always well coached. I would say Atlanta by three, um, probably 15-18. So anyone do the math on how you get to 15-18 and let me know. <laughs> I mean, three, three unconverted tries plus three unconverted tries and a in plus a, penalty, in a, yeah, plus and a penalty. penalty yeah. Or you go. know, or or you know, uh, you can just get nine drop kicks in a row. Or, or <laughs> no, 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 drop kicks are three. Drop, I'm I'm thinking about football. <laughs> but um, oh, hey, also John. How much drop kicks worth in football? Uh, <laughs> they're two, right? 
There's no drop uh, kicks in football. Yeah. Well, there, there is. There, as a there, there, there are drop kicks Doug in football. Flutie Doug, Doug Flutie did a drop Flutie kick for the Patriots. Doug Flutie did a drop kick for the Patriots. But, <laughs> hey, also, I want to go on record for John Wayne Cullen watching right now. I am not bad-mouthing bison burgers. I am currently a resident of Tahoe, California, and that is part of my blood. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so who do you got, Poach? I'm going to have to go... ATL minus three. Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, God, this is so tough to pick. Uh, I am going to say I am also going to pick Atlanta. I'm going to say Atlanta by five. All right. Um, now we move to the Liam Bowl. Uh, yeah. Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, New England at Houston. So both of these teams have signed over paychecks in the past to my name. They put some money in my account, spent a lot of it. So unfortunately, none of that's left. Oh, well. So anyway, I was robbed. I still tell you, robbed of this match last season because this actually happened to be the matchup slated for New England's home opener at Union Point last season. Unfortunately, it was then that the league decided to make the call to suspend the season for several weeks. Uh, as we all know, several weeks turned into a complete cancellation of the 2020 season, and teams instead turned their eyes towards 2021, and what do you know? Here we are. Uh, obviously, since then, New England has seen a lot of turnaround in terms of coaching and players on the field. They said uh, goodbye to Coach Smith, who's still a very well-respected name in the Boston rugby community. He's the, uh, I, I, I wouldn't say he's. I wouldn't say they said goodbye. He yeah, is yeah, uh, head coach of the Independence because they wanted to go full time, and he's still got a full time job. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I guess they in, in interchange the positions. Uh, you know, is a, is a better way to put it. Um, anyway, they they were uh, they uh, replaced him with Ryan Martin in the in the head coaching uh, position, who brought his own philosophy, staff, and players. Now, on the flip side, Houston go is going into year two with head coach Paul Healy. Uh, they were able to make a few good signings on top of retaining some of their core guys uh, like Tian Lutz, Malachi Esdale, Zach Pangelinen, and, of course, the great Sam Windsor. Uh, so, obviously, last week saw two very different results from these sides, as we talked about a few minutes ago. Houston, uh, who's had their fair share of heartbreakers over the league short lifetime. Sorry, am I ready for some what? <laughs> for God's sakes, Aaron. I, I, I don't even know. Look at me. I am the captain now. All right? Yeah. So, like, like, like I was saying, two very different results uh, for, for these teams last week. Houston, they, they've had their fair share of heartbreakers over the league's lifetime. And believe me, I was there for a few of them. Uh, they were, uh, like we were saying, they were able to open the season with a win over the Seattle Seawolves, who are the defending champs? I'm I mean, there there was no interim belt handed out last year, so yeah. I, I guess they. I guess Diego since there was fans, no interim belt, they are the interim champion. Yeah, or because but, San Diego was undefeated last year, they were the interim champion. I mean, I said that they on lost Twitter. Week one this year, so by my math, oh, the Ren Flurry Shield type stuff. Huh? You're doing the shields. You're doing the shield competition type thing. Okay. <laughs> Count the rings, baby. Seattle's got them. All right. But anyway, um, going into this match, I think the forward battle between these two teams is going to be uh, the, the big facet to watch uh, because I thought New England's physicality with that, uh, with that group, their group of forwards, was probably the most impressive of their showing last week. 
Uh, we don't know what the lineups are going to be exactly, but the assumed lineup um, of uh, Faye Gasse, De Jager, and Jansen for the Jacks up against Houston's Lilo, Diego, uh, Diego Fortuny, and a good old Charlie Connolly. Love that guy. Uh, it's going to be an interesting contest, and I think one team in particular by halftime is going to have a clear advantage going into the final leg. Um, that you know, both front rows uh, play a pretty cerebral, uh, you know, pretty mental game with one another, and I think there's going to be a lot of you know, sort of feeling each other out, you know, in the first half. But I think one team eventually is going to, you know, get that skeleton key to the other. Um, when it comes see, to the guys in the... Did anyone see that Georgian? What is name? What's his name? Like, he he looked like a bad dude. Like, he could play. Here, Georgia for Six Nations replace Italy or have them I, in Italy oh, I'm, I'm, play I'm off in the about, final spot. Me. Where's his name? Well, you, um, you said Georgian, it kind of triggered me, and I was just like, all right, this is something uh, that yeah, needs to be I'm said. I'm not really worried about um, <laughs> the Six Nations, whereas I want to say it's Katikashvili. Uh, yeah, it sounds right. Try, you know, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not one with the names. Yeah. Uh, Katayashvili. There we go. Katayashvili. If, uh, you know, that guy was a guy like, like a bad man. Um, so I would, I, I think the front row matchup for Houston is going to be way better. Oh, no, absolutely. And like you said, it was a little bit, a little shaky last week, but like I said, the talent is there for that front row. The, um, you know, all the, all three of those guys really showed a lot of promise, um, you know, in seasons past. And like you said, Connolly has really high, high standards of himself. I've seen him in training. Um, you know, he, he, he pushes not just himself, but the others around him to do better. So like I said, that's one huge reason why I'm looking forward to that matchup. Um, when it comes to the guys in the back, though, one matchup between these two teams that I'm wicked excited to see uh, is Bodine Waka versus Zach Pangelinen. Uh Both these guys, they're leaders in the locker room, um, and they can pretty they can be pretty ta- tactical and surgical with their kicks when they need to be. But more importantly, they can be just as effective with the ball in hands in terms of making that kind of difference offensively. Uh, I think the back and forth between those two for field position is going to have a huge effect in terms of how each team uh, develops their acts and their counters and but obviously I have a mild bias towards fullback, so don't fault me if you think that's a pretty, you know, handed take. And since uh, I don't work <laughs> for either of episode biases. <laughs> no, that, that's a good idea. So since I don't work for either of these teams any longer, I'm completely free to make a prediction as I see fit. All right, so feel free to send uh, some hate from my hometown uh, because as much as I love my Boston guys, I think New England's issues opening and closing games is going to be taken advantage of, advantage of especially by the boot of Sam Windsor. Um, but I'm calling a low scoring on this one. I'm going to say Houston 17, New England 14. But I definitely want to leave the door open for a New England victory. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll go. Uh, I'll say I, I think right now I am not convinced New England is – Winning any road matches, uh, I'm going to say Houston by eight. I think the the travel's going to hurt. Um, they've had two long road trips last week. They will have had two long road trips here. Uh, last week they left the day early. Uh, um, and it's not that cold in New England right now, man. We could have had some. Home. So, so I, I, I mean, and but they they played decently well. I think it's going to. Uh, I don't know when the appeals hearing is, if it's this week for John Poland and somehow gets downgraded to a yellow 
and not um, a red. I mean, he was given four matches, so I, I don't think the judiciary uh, was interested in, in putting him to the same level as, say, Cortez, which was two games. So I think that's going to – like who plays nine is, is going to – So that would be Englehart. Um, he's yeah, a, all of, so, yeah, Ollie Englehart, he played in that game. So who plays – or um, I think – Tom Bruzzotti, a kid out of no, actually they have three really young scrum halves outside of Poland. Uh, they've got Tom Bruzzotti, who they signed as an undrafted free agent, and they've also got Sean Yakubian, uh, who is uh, both both of those are products out of St. Mary's, and Sean Yakubian played for the Raptors um, until they decided to quit, and uh, so I think there are some options. But you're not going to see what Ryan Martin wants to do until you have a halfback pairing that just has been together for a bit. Because basically, um, I mean, the back line is kind of new again. Um, so uh, they played, re- I thought they played really well against Los Angeles. I think they do have a real chance to win. But the. The preseason games for Houston, and unlike season one when they had two full seasons in their preseason, um, I think that's going to help. And Houston by two. All right, Saturday night main event, nine p.m. Eastern. You'll have uh, the Toronto Atlanta Arrows uh, traveling to Utah. As we mentioned, up at a higher elevation, uh, I don't think many people would have guessed that it would be winless Toronto against undefeated Utah. You know, here in week two, um, but here we are. Uh, you know, I think I think both these teams still have something to prove, though. I think Utah, yes, beat Austin week one, but uh, there'll be questions about how good Austin is this year, and Utah has been so inconsistent. Over the years, um, you know, maybe under this new coaching regime, they'll they'll be able to find a, a bit more consistency. But uh, they'll be certainly wanting to prove that that last week was no fluke, and that they can beat you know teams more closely associated with the top of the table in successful previous seasons. Um, Toronto just lost, you know, they they uh, they lost. They only scored fourteen points, but you know, clearly the low of the week. You know, they they do retain a lot of their talent from last year, but they're missing uh, some key folks. Dan Moore, uh, who's really, I think, a, a spark plug on that team is gone. I don't know about this week, but last week they didn't have Rob Brower, who I believe didn't travel for work reasons. I'm not sure if he's caught up with the team this week. Brewer is a teacher, and he just had his fourth kid, so um, they don't plan on him playing until at least the summer. Um, so, obviously – if things got real bad, they could fly him in and fly him out. But he would, if they flew him in, it would need to be like the week before because he had to go through the protocols. And then he had to spend two weeks on the back end because the current protocols in Canada make sure that you have to spend two weeks in isolation. So, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, and there's other, you know, other missing folks too. So I think Toronto, I think is going to want to prove that, they're still a, a top team to be to be feared. Um, so yeah, I think another. I think this whole week is a pretty great match. I think it's another really interesting one to pick, hard one to predict. 
Uh, I, however, I'm going to say that Toronto edges it by two. I think they now had a week to, uh, you know, get used to being in America away from home, uh, no distractions. Um, and, you know, I think Atlanta's a really good team too. I, I think, you know, they, they probably didn't, Atlanta's defense was so good. I think it made Toronto look worse than they probably really played. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not that I don't believe in Sean Pittman and Sean Davies. Um, I do. Um, but uh, I believe in the the other guy on that Sean Pittman was on a st- coaching staff with under Gary Gold just a little bit more. Uh, so Scott Lawrence or like so – hmm, so Chris Silverthorne taking Toronto. Yeah, I, I just think – as much as Utah probably has a chance to win, um, I think it's going to be tough. Uh, shit. Like, so Toronto lost to Atlanta by a try and a converted try, and then Atlanta beat Utah in the preseason by two. I don't know. Um, let's say Toronto – I'm going to pick a slim margin too. I just like Chris Silverthorne, you know, what he's doing for Toronto. He's, he's also been consistent. Like he's a third year head coach. Toronto by two. I'm going to go Toronto by six. They're too good of a team to open the, uh, you know, to open the season, you know, not looking like a contender in my, in my opinion. So uh, yeah, no, they, they have, they have the pieces to win. I think, I think they'll be able to do it. They'll, they'll upset. Or I wouldn't even call it an upset. They're a great team. <laughs> um. So on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, we have San Diego traveling to Austin. Me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So San Diego is coming off a season where they seemed destined to be champ, uh, but like we said uh, earlier, that was robbed of them by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, since then, they 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 have waved goodbye to Coach Hoadley and replaced him instead with the combination of Zach Test and Scott Murray. Uh, their game against New York, we um, I don't want to beat this dead horse again. Uh, not great defense, offense obviously loaded with talent, but looked awkward and out of place. Uh, meanwhile, Austin may have just barely missed out on a victory against the Warriors last week, despite a great comeback attempt. Uh, but they definitely, you know. Again, like I said, they showed a huge improvement from one season to the other, and I think that's a, uh, a team that's on the rise. Uh, both, of, both of their results, both of those losses could be marked up to being rusty. However, I felt like San Diego's issues were more systematic than, than rust, re- uh, really. So still, I can't go against San Diego this early in the season after such great results last season. So I'm going to say San Diego gets on the board with this one, 26-20. to 20. Whoa, what a U-turn. That whole preamble yeah. was like prepping us. Oh, yeah. No, dude. Day. Yeah. What a letdown. I keep you all on your toes. It's a disaster. They have no connectivity. Their problems are systemic. I take them by five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't think San Diego played a great game week one, but, you know, I, I need to see more than a near miss against another team. That's somebody of a question mark for me to start picking Austin to beat, you know, the long time dominant West coast Ooh. team. Oh, also letting me down. He's also letting me down. Oh, 
Uh, San Diego doesn't win this week. I'm predicting them to be bottom half um, of of the conference. Period. I I don't think. I know you you said in Monday Morning Fly Half that uh, New York is not very good or is not going to be very good. I didn't say I'd be good. I said I wouldn't make the playoffs. Hey, good enough. Good enough for good enough for my hot yeah. take. Um, and, uh, I, I should be more clear though, as well myself. It's not that I don't think San Diego has the chance to lose based on what I saw last week. It's just that my mind literally won't let me say I think San Diego is going to lose to Austin after everything we've seen the last. Yeah, week. I, <laughs> I, I might just. I'm. I did not like what I saw from San Diego. I know that. Zach Test and Scott Murray are both good coaches. I'm not sure about the co-head coach thing. Um, every time I've seen a co-head coach thing, whether it ends up in a championship, seen that, um, or ends up in a losing season, seen that, one of them is always fired, period. And I've not really seen it at the professional level. So, eh, I, but just generally, like, even though, like, these guys were on the staff under Hoadley, so I would have expected sort of that attitude and physical conditioning and just that point of attack um, mentality that they had, especially defensively, the, the intense, the physical intensity. And I, even with the wind, I don't think any those teams, either of those teams played well. I thought Austin played well. I'm, I'm doing it. The, the orange blob. By uh, by a nose by one point. Yeah, instead of the orange men, it's like the the orange cowboys. Yeah, yeah. No, the cheese orange cheese puff cowboy done. <laughs> someone, right. someone who's a graphic designer, please do that up in Photoshop and, right. and send it to us so we can use it. Still Thanks. a better name the than, than an alcoholic drink. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. So, and that puts us on to. Final Seattle traveling to the Coliseum um, oh, against so hard to against pick. against the Pink Boys. Um, I, I will I will say this about LA. I love that they're playing in the Coliseum. I think that's so <laughs> awesome for so, American like, So did that's anyone dope? So last I I found a bunch of photos last week and I mentioned it on the show uh, of rugby being played in the Coliseum in the 1930s between UCLA and USC. And uh, I, I ended up not sending any of them to Josh, even though he asked me to send them to him. But, you know, things yeah, are nicely enough. Exactly. But, uh, the you know, the Hawaii thing, it, it did its job. Like, that team is ready to go. Like, scrummaging. I mean, they have uh, some young props that are Australian. They have some veteran props that are Australian. Don't really care. They freaking, like, made New England look very bad uh, in the in, in set piece in, in scrum. Um, Charlie Abel, I thought he just he, – he's like he could be – he could be like what Metro was in season one and Patty Ryan, the Australian, was in season two. Um, he just – he's a bad man. And, uh, you know, DTH with his two tries just – and then uh, you Billy Meeks. It's a it's obviously a team loaded with Australian talent, 
and there's a lot of international caps on that on that roster. But it's also got like if you go past the first fifteen, it is basically just young Americans on that team that will get the chance to play a lot of rugby in a very compressed timeline. Um, you know, they were dominant against uh, New England, and there are scrum issues for Seattle. There are connection issues for Seattle because get, Seema's out. Like, he's out for a while. Um, I don't I don't know. I need to, t- I need to go find out. But uh, so you have the hinge, the nine, 10 combo. That's a question mark. So who, um, uh, who plays 10? Um, does it, do you, yeah, Sam Manoa is going to play hooker. Yeah. Let's, let's Sam Manoa has played hooker, you know, no problem. Done. Um, you know, uh, but so I guess option one, which they did when Sima got injured uh, a couple years ago was JP Smith playing 10, but they also had Phil Mack. Um, they do have Devereaux Ferris last year when Nate Augsburger was out, for, um, had that injury in the first game and was out for the season. Devereaux Ferris, uh, you know, marshaled them around the field pretty, pretty darn well. So you could do that. Um, or you, they have Scott Dean on their developmental team. I think he's the only true 10 that they even have around the squad right now. So I think you sign him, you put him back on the active roster and see what he can do. Uh, and if you don't put him on the active roster, just so you have a backup 10, because the, uh, the other option would be uh, Shalom playing 10 full time. And then um, you have JP Aguirre, who's a center, not really a 10, but he has played fly half. That's an extra option. But they got – they're in trouble. Like, I thought they were going to be in trouble before. They're in trouble now. Um, uh, that's After watching, seeing what Los Angeles did New England, that's an easy pick. Uh, the cocktails by 14. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crazy. Right? Like, everyone is so all over these guillotinis. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm not a believer yet. I mean, maybe they'll be there. Uh, I think Seattle has a legacy of victory here in this league. LA has a legacy of one game they've played uh, in this league. Um, I don't think it's going to be as easy to score on them as it was to score against New England. Um, I'm saying Seattle by two. Ooh. So, wow. <laughs> Did you watch last week's game? <laughs> um, based on what I saw versus New England, just in terms of their ball movement and their you know surprising cohesion as a squad already, I'm going to have to go with Los Angeles. Uh, I'll say by I'll say by a full seven. Full seven? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting weekend. Just because Stro hates Seattle, we, we understand what's going on. Obviously, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where's where's my? I have a sweet scarf. I got you, Seattle. Rocky. Wherever you're out there, Rocky. I got that. a where, Rocky is Rocky hangs out like I have a mini Rocky from the champ champ himself, um, and he hangs out with Wally the Wallaby, 
Um, and rookie the Eagle. Where's your stuffed guillotine? <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's a bad merchandising ploy. Like if <laughs> like if you want to go to licensing and merchandising and talk to me about mascots, um, Utah has a. I guess they've. What are the big heads from um, the Easter Islands? Uh, I think they signed one of those as their mascot. Easter Islands <laughs> the heads. head. Uh, I, I, like all you see is like black and sort of like ribbed. Yeah, the Moai. I, I think. Uh, I think. Uh, I think Utah signed some Mo- signed a Moai to be their their uh, <laughs> their their mascot it's or i think uh then brian ray uh, said donatello is signed for the uh for the utah warriors because it's like a black and sort of yeah, like totally looking like thing warrior yeah uh, by, by the way the new england free jacks uh their mascot is just a uh, good old todd spider spoto uh from the from the free from the uh supporters group he'd like to dress up in his uh his revolutionary <laughs> war garb it's quite something we love it <laughs> I'm told. I'm told this is out of fashion, but I still have. Was he going to get some parachute pants or something? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Hey, you is know like where's the New York thing I'm missing? Or the roosters? The roosters. Oh yeah, yeah. Where's Sky? Where we need Sky Bailey back because yeah. yeah. Uh, we oh yeah, where's Ski? I remember it was like oh yeah, because Victor called him Sky. Where's Ski? Because we need him, and because he used to bring rubber chickens to New York games. Reach out, Ski. I think he's in Ohio right now, but uh, contact us. Yeah. Um, I think that wraps it up. I thought we kept it pretty tight uh, for us because we're mostly verbose. Um, there are some interesting things that someone asked about. Uh, Rob Shaw, Chris Rob Shaw does not. Uh, he had a five-game suspension, and I think a Harlequins game counted for that, so he is not eligible to play. I don't know when San Diego's by is, but I'm going to say he's not eligible to play until game five. Um, so, yeah. Um, there was that one. Any other alibis? Oh yeah, Shh. we 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 had questions. Um, from this Craig. Yeah, from Craig. Uh, Balumba on Twitter. Um, team, our MLR weekend rosters are now centrally. Yes. Um, the mornings of the mat of the mornings of the match. The uh, on MLR social handles, the team sheets uh, are out. Um, they were out, I want to say, at 11 a.m. Pacific time on Saturday and 10 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday for the last game. So you, if you follow MLR on social, you will see the centrally posted rosters, um, the teams, uh, just because of COVID protocols and all that stuff, um, are being like, generally um, they're being asked not to post their rosters until medical clearance has been given. And, uh, and roughly so 20, Hey Scott, if San Diego posts their um, roster five minutes before kickoff, that's just normal. Okay. I guess I was like, someone was like, where's the San Diego roster? And I know Josh. And I was like, Josh, do you subscribe to their newsletter? Because, 
because that's, I, saw, I saw that this morning. I saw the I saw the I saw it in the newsletter at like seven a.m. in the morning on Saturday. There's no hey, to check if they've sipped. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, Jake. By the way, uh, Austin has their names on the back of their jerseys. Um, I love it. Yeah, same. I, I like I, it. I love it. Um, you, most of the teams in the Premiership do names on the back of the jerseys now. I think Irish didn't don't have them. There's like two only two teams in the Premiership that don't have names on the back of the jerseys. Uh, I think it, the next the next step is every team in MLR has names on the back of jerseys. I know that's kind of difficult to do, um, but um, it allows fans to identify with players, and then you can sell uh, players' names on the back of jerseys. The aspirational names like the XFL. He oh, hit yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that 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 makes it. Uh, you know, Did you ever see a question about referees? How is didn't someone ask us uh, uh, what we thought see. the overall performance of referees? Oh yes. Were? So oh yeah, I feel stupid. I need to scroll. Um, there are three more questions. Um, P wagon sixty. Uh, he's a New England fan. Um, overall thoughts on the ref performance this last weekend uh, in MLR and the Six Nations? Because let's judge which one's worse. I think it was the Six Nations was worse than uh, the MLR. Uh, I didn't have a huge issue with anything, to be quite honest. I think all the decisions from referees uh, this weekend were defensible. You were defendable, yeah. Um, if you're wondering about the red cards, oh. I think the cards were the weirdest thing. One, maybe it's just because I think I'm guessing, I don't know for a fact, but it seemed obvious that a lot of these broadcasters were remote, so they were seeing the same feed we were. And when the feed didn't show the card, the broadcasters didn't know there was a card, and it was like it was like a mystery. People were trying to sort out what had happened. Like you saw a play in the New York San Diego game where it looked like. New York won a penalty, then they'll just tell you that someone got a card, but then it's New York's feet at the scrum. It was like the most confusing thing ever. I mean, that, that yeah. to me, I don't know if that's the officiating fault. Was per se, but Jake, definitely- Jake says Scott Green was, was bad in Vegas. I mean, I think it's a, I, I don't know. I, I thought like it, there was 30 mile per hour wins. So yeah. Green always calls scrum penalties in, in a way that I don't know. He doesn't, in my mind, he doesn't give enough credit to the the team that's pushing the scrum. Like, if you're moving the other pack and the thing wheels, like, I usually give the, I would think the side who's moving the scrum is going to be awarded the penalty, but he tends to penalize them. Um, so, I don't know. Whatever. It was no, I, I thought it was fine. You know, you know who I used to, like, ding a lot for fitness and their scrummaging ability? You know who I thought? Like Scott didn't bring it up, but Scott mentioned the name. I was like, I thought James Rockford played pretty good game. Other than his yellow card, which no one saw. I mean, okay, yellow card aside, I'm talking about just his ability to to squat and yeah, connect with another man and, I mean, and they, hang they out. Pushed, they pushed back a San Diego scrum, like stole it not with a penalty, but literally. You know, how often do you actually see these days? Yeah, so so San Diego is they San Diego stole 
for like a ham sandwich to props from Houston last year and Paul Mullen and, and Jamie Deaver and neither of those players are on San Diego right now. And it's they're they're fair the whole the front row is is young. Like you've got Sylvia, Mitchell, um even Peter Malcolm, although he's he feels like he's old. He's I think he's 26. Um he played a lot. Uh it's a I don't think Aaron Mitchell played this weekend, but just generally like there was, it was just a young front row um, that will get good. Cause they're all decently good players, but yeah, that's, I don't know, man. Um, uh, the other question before we, uh, yeah, before we get to the best one is from John Fitz DC on Twitter. Do you think the new law variations had a demonstrable effect on the games or too early in this season to make that call? Uh, there was one scrum where is he talking about the axle loading? No, just I um, think it's like the resetting the, the, scrum. the scrum resets, oh. the the offside yeah, line at the scrum. I think I think the offside line at the scrum being set to the center of the scrum. I always hate the nine from the opposing team, basically like sniffing the, the bum of your nine, just trying to like pick off the ball like loose. So I, I always thought yeah, I, like, I always well, I didn't even know what that rule was to begin with. Yeah, I, well, I, I like it. I like that. I wish that that would be all the way up at international rugby because I think it's stupid that but, a nine can basically follow your nine around and it not be offside as long as the ball is under in the scrum. Um, can, we, can we talk about though the, the the reset situation with Toronto? Where yeah, that I think the referee. That's where I think the referee blew the call because yeah, they so asked. Too, right? That's not the rule. The, the rule is supposed to be you can't reset without awarding a penalty a scrum a third time. You yeah, have to, after the second time, award somebody something a free kick or a penalty. Yeah, the, in this case, it seemed like what happened was Toronto had scrum twice and they wanted to choose the scrum because they were getting penalties. Yeah. And the official said you can't choose another scrum. Yeah. Like so, if you're winning, I think it's like if you're the attacking team in the scrum, right. And you commit the penalty after the second reset, it's, it's free kick. Whereas if you're winning the penalty, it should be, you can do whatever you want. I would, yeah, that's I mean, how, I, that's how I read. Yeah. That's exactly. how I read the law. Yeah. Um, me too. So interpretation that's how i read it um the the try under the post thing kind of cool i i mean i would you know what i would love i because it's it's sort of like the super try in um in super au you get the seven points but you also get the kick so you get nine points that's what i would love i think you have to scrum for it Two-point conversion. <laughs> uh, and then, um, so generally too early to tell. I think both the teams and the refs are getting hang of it because they did not play under these laws interpretations during the preseason because they weren't approved. They are proven it. Scott, go watch Global Rapid Rugby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, all, all right. right. All right. We're done. I'm pressing the end button. Thank you. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Visit our website at earfulofdirt.com or email us your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. <laughs>